Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations who have a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us today is Katie Flores Moreno, the North Texas Director of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and she's going to talk with us about mental health awareness and suicide prevention. How are you doing, Katie? Good. How are you, Chris? Thanks so much for having me. Oh, doing just great, doing just great. And we've talked about mental health awareness, and we've talked about suicide prevention. We've had experts on over the last few years, and it's always a pleasure to talk to someone to open up that side of the conversation. Because, you know, a lot of people have a lot of interest in their physical health, but there needs to be some attention on their mental health, and that can also dissuade some individuals from ending their own lives. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, one of the things we've seen in the last year, um, especially with the pandemic, is there has been so much more of a focus on mental health. And, you know, just as you said, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Um, you know, just when you get an ache or a pain or, you know, you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor, you know, we are starting to encourage and see more people take that same mentality when it comes to their mental health, right? When they're not feeling well, mm-hmm. um, going and finding someone, you know, whether that's a psychiatrist or a therapist or even, you know, medication, whatever that looks like for that individual, you know, we're seeing more people being proactive when it comes to their mental health and going and getting those resources that are needed. And I guess the easiest step is to have a conversation with someone to let those things that are on your mind come forward so that you don't feel like that you're alone or you're the only one that thinks that way sometimes, or sometimes it overwhelms you and you just got to let it out. 100%. You know, that's one of the things that we talk about in several other programs that we offer um, at AFSP is having that conversation and how to have that conversation, especially around suicide. It can be very difficult and uncomfortable to ask the question, are you thinking about taking your own life? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just saying it sometimes, right? You can kind of feel that uncomfortability, but it's so important. And once you've asked that question of someone, it it makes it as if you're a safe person, right? If you're comfortable with them answering in the affirmative when it comes to that question, even if it's not true, you've now opened yourself up and that person's like, well, no, I'm not, but this is going on in my life, right? right. This is something completely different because they now know, okay, if she is going to be okay that if I said, yes, I am thinking about ending my own life, then I can share other things with her as well, even if that's not the case. So 
you know, we encourage people to have those conversations, to be direct and ask very pointedly, you know, are you thinking about taking your own life? Don't really like dance around the subject. We know it's uncomfortable, um, but just being direct and, you know, having that conversation and listening and being empathetic and not necessarily trying to insert yourself into that person's problem or saying, you know, oh, it's not that bad or here's what you can do to fix it, but really listening and hearing what they're saying and just kind of affirming their feelings and saying, you know what, that is hard. I can see why you're struggling and here's things we can do to kind of take those next steps to make sure that you're okay and that we can get you the help that you need. A lot of people who've been in the situation where they're having some mental stress or, you know, they're having these thoughts of suicide, they start out saying they have some insomnia. Can you talk about that particular set of people? You know, I think one of the things that we see is that people, you know, unfortunately, when someone takes their life, those around them want to point to one thing and say, it was this, right? Mm -hmm. This was the cause of, of why this happened. When in reality, one of the things that we're finding via our research um, is that it's a multitude of things, right? Mm-hmm. It is not just one instance in a person's life. It is, you know, maybe there's a history of mental illness in their family. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's stressors going on at work or in their family life. Maybe, like you said, there's something going on there, experiencing anxiety. They, you know, kind of increase their use of alcohol or substance use. And all of these things are coming together to create that instance in which that person feels like there's no other recourse than to take their own life. So, you know, again, it's kind of like what you said earlier, you know, if you know that person, you can kind of start to pinpoint, okay, you know, they're saying they're not sleeping, they're missing work meetings, they're not as engaged or going out, you know, We used to have happy hours together. Like all of these things are starting to kind of add up. And this is not the person that I know. Let me check in with them and just see if they're okay. Yeah, it seems like they become more isolated. And it goes back to something you started out talking about. By the way, we're talking with Katie Flores Moreno. She's the North Texas director of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. You were talking about the pandemic. And I saw some research that said that through the pandemic, We had a situation where a lot of people were affected by loneliness. Can you talk about the isolation that happened and how, I guess, people are generally are social people, but now there's a different, on this side of the pandemic, the the pivot, so to speak, people are actually getting out and about a little bit more. But there were a lot of people who, especially young people, who thought that when the pandemic was going on, this was the way life was going to be, and they started isolating. Yeah, you know, I think we all kind of, you know, realized, oh, we got to we got to hunker down. And during the pandemic, I think one of the things we saw was, you know, we have to get creative when it comes to staying connected. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't be had that face to face interaction. We can't just go out to a restaurant and hang with our friends or go to these events. And so really having to get creative and shift to the way that we do things and we, you know, interact with our friends and our family, you know, I think that's why we saw a rise in Zoom happy hours and Zoom meetings. And, you know, I kind of think too, we saw a rise of just, you know, mail at one point was something that you didn't really get, right? Unless yeah. it was a bill or something like that. But I think we saw people kind of getting creative and, you know, just little notes in the mail that mm-hmm. were, you know, checking in or little, I saw this and thought of you gifts. Like, 
during the pandemic, I think that's one of the things we saw is this shift to really needing to stay connected with our friends um, and, and realizing that we had to do whatever, you know, we needed to do to, to continue to keep those connections, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're in the office every day with your coworkers, right, pre-pandemic, it was easy to form those relationships and those connections. And, you know, once we all started working from home, you had to work a little bit more at yeah. it, right? You had to have more conversations. And I know for me, you know, I worked in an office where we had a physical office here in Dallas, but I also had coworkers in Lubbock and Tyler and Austin. And sure. so, you know, I felt more connected to them during the pandemic than I ever did pre-pandemic because, you know what, it was, we were having more conversations on Zoom. You know, we were having conversations that weren't just about what other project we were working on, but mm-hmm. just having conversations and checking in with them or starting text threads. So, you know, that was one of the things for me that, you know, I felt like in some instances in that environment, in that work environment, I felt more connected to my coworkers than I had previously. You know what's great about you? You're, you're like me. You're a people person. And you just basically <laughs> expanded your network. You're like, OK, I can, you, you're at, instead of just talking to someone over the phone or just talking to or, or sending an email or something, you were able to, you know, spend a little bit more time because, you know, whether it's social media or Zoom or whatever it was, you're able to connect even more. And I think that's what a lot of people have to realize when they internalize too much is there's different ways of connecting. It's a new normal. You can connect with your family even better. In fact, I think during the pandemic, a lot of families would start group texting or they would have their family chats on Zoom where, you know, you probably couldn't drive to grandma's house all the time, you know. Things like that. In other words, are those some of the things that can help people, you know, not feel as bad about their own situation and, and internalize? You know, I think so. You know, one of you know, you talk about you know, being a people person and all these new creative things. I think we saw, you know, new creative things too when it came to like our own technology. I mean, my best friend lives in Idaho, um, in Boise. And so, you know, during the pandemic at I don't know if you're familiar with the app Marco Polo, but it's like a video messaging service. Okay. And so, you know, I would, we would send, you know, five or six Marco Polos in a day. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I felt more connected to her now. I mean, you still do that. Mm-hmm. Then I, then I did when, you know, when I moved away, we text all the time and we do FaceTime calls, but you know, that was something else that came out of that pandemic. I had never heard of that app, never, you know, seen anything like it. But that kind of creativity came out and was able to allow us to be, you know, even more connected and actually see, you know, a face, right? Sometimes it's just hearing that phone call, but seeing their face kind of responding to, you know, maybe nonverbal cues of what's going on to be able to determine, okay, how is she doing today? You know, this is what she's saying, but these are some of the things I'm picking up on. And, you know, maybe she doesn't want to come out and say it, but let me just check in and say, yeah. hey, you know, I noticed this on our last one. Are you okay? Yeah. And you know what? I've also noticed, I've read some more research about Gen Z in particular, um, how they stay in touch with each other. They actually prefer FaceTime than just a text or just a phone call. They would rather FaceTime and they may not say a word. They may just have the phone laying on the counter and all you can see on the phone is the ceiling fan, but they're right there. <laughs> have, have you heard anything about those things? Cause those are ways of people relating to each other in 2023 and beyond, but it's a, it's a way of not 
of, of, of sharing some of the things that you may be going through and not feeling alone or letting things build up where you may feel like it's not worth going forward anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I have, like you said, I have seen those kind of like TikToks or those things like that where people, you know, do say that they do that. And I can, I can see that, you know, I had a friend who was going through a hard time mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And so we couldn't be together. Right. It's not like I could just fly to where they were um, because they were in a hot zone. And so, you know, we would do that. We would just put our phone down on the couch yeah. and watch the same TV show. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it felt almost like we were in the same room. Right? Uh-huh. She was looking at her ceiling. I was looking at mine more than looking at the video. Um, yeah. And, but, and it know, wasn't like you had to talk nonstop. It's like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. You know, just to kind of, uh, you still kind of feel that presence, right? You still exactly. know. You know, I I could be like, hey, you know, can you believe he just said that? Or, you know, what are the things we're watching? Um, you know, to be able to feel like I'm still having that conversation. That person is still close with me. I'm pulling the curtain back. My teenage daughter, she walks around the house with her friends on a tablet. I swear to God. <laughs> They're just, I'm like, who's that? Oh, that's, how, and then I wave at the tablet and there they are. It's the 21st century and this is what we do. We're yeah. talking again with, um, we're talking again with Katie Flores Moreno. And, and Katie, I love the way you're sharing some of your stories. Can you talk about how you got involved and wound up being the, the director of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in North Texas? How did that come together? Because I can tell you're a very empathetic person. <laughs> well, you know, I had a long career in nonprofit. I've worked with quite a few nonprofits here in the, okay. the Dallas area. Um, but again, you know, I started a year ago, actually. I just hit my one-year anniversary. Congratulations. Um, and I think, you know, again, it was around that own mental health and how important it was. You know, I became a mom during the pandemic and, you know, that isn't something normal, right? You're bringing, you know, a child into this world and now you're having to isolate. And so, you know, I myself realized how important it was for me to be, you know, present and kind of keep my mental health top of mind, especially because, you know, I was going to bring someone else into the world. And so when this opportunity arose, you know, it was something that I really kind of went for. Um, And, you know, I think now more than ever, we're seeing kind of like what we talked about earlier, more people are more aware of their mental health and, you know, taking it more seriously and wanting to get involved and be involved. Well, I'm so glad you're involved because like I said, I can tell by your personality that you're, you're a go-getter and you're such a, a, an uplifting source, an uplifting voice. And that also reminded me that, it was last July, I believe, that there was the launch of the 988 number, the, the the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Can you talk about how that's available for people and your thoughts on how um, any kind of an impact is made? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, you know, we launched that last July. We were one of the organizations who helped champion that. Um And it's a great resource, you know, it's a quick, easy number that people can call or text. And I mean, it's not just for someone who's, you know, struggling themselves, but it could be for a family member or a friend, you know, just like what we're talking about earlier. You know, you can say, oh, so-and-so isn't, you know, I think something's wrong with them, but I'm not sure. And you can call the 988 number or you can text the 988 number and say, you know, I'm not sure, but this is what I'm seeing and I have concerns. And it's a real person, you know, on the other line of that phone or on the other line of that text message, talking to you, answering your questions, you know, 988, it's the way it's done is, you know, you're talking to someone. If you call from Texas, 
you are talking to someone in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. You, there are people who can get you resources here in your local community, right? Um, And so we're seeing a real uptick in that. We have it available in Spanish. We also have it available for veterans um, because we know, you know, of course, they're a vulnerable population as well. Um, So, you know, this past year, Really, you know, we were just at the state house in April advocating for more funding for 988 here in Texas mm-hmm. um, because we are seeing a need and uptick in calls, you know, especially now as that number is becoming more publicized. You know, some people are like, you know, who do I call? I don't want to call 911 because I don't feel like this person needs police intervention, um, but I'm not sure who to turn to. That's, you know, what 988 is there for. That is fantastic. Again, it's a resource and it's helping people go through who are going through some things and family members or friends who are noticing that, helping them get through it. Um, let's look at some numbers real quick here. Uh, the numbers say that most people perceive mental health as equal to physical health. That's 76% of the population in America. And half of the United States adults feel physical health is treated a little bit more importantly. That's 51% of the people there. Here's the interesting thing at all. 67% of the people feel like they've had a mental health condition at some point in their own life. And that's an uptick from 2018. And 60% of adults in the United States have familiarity with suicide, and that's an increase from previous years. So is this a good thing or a bad thing that people are aware? You know, I think it's a a good thing, right? Because when you're aware, you can start having those conversations, right? I think for a long time, suicide has been stigmatized, right? It's something taboo. It's something no one wants to talk about. But as you said, so many Americans are touched by suicide in some shape or form. And one of the things that we know is, you know, at AFSP, we believe suicide can be prevented. We believe that it's something that doesn't necessarily have to occur. And the way that that comes about is, by having those conversations like we talked about earlier, right? And being comfortable asking someone, are you okay? Do you need help? And so the more awareness we can raise about mental health and suicide, you know, the more hopefully people will then turn around and take action and start asking those questions of their loved ones to check in and make sure that they're okay. Exactly, because two out of three adults believe they they don't have enough knowledge to talk to someone about suicide. But guess what? Half to three quarters of United States adults are comfortable being there to help a loved one, comfortable with talking to a clinician when struggling, comfortable when talking to a friend or loved one who's struggling, and comfortable discussing suicide with friends and loved ones overall. They just want to feel comfortable enough to talk about it or listen. And like you were saying earlier, you don't have to talk as much and offer suggestions as initially as be there for someone who just wants to talk. Listen to someone who wants to get some things off their chest, be there for them, right? Absolutely. You know, and if anyone has, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not sure how to start that conversation. You know, yeah. I mentioned earlier, we have programs and they're free programs. Um, you know, one of our signature programs is Talk Saves Lives. And it kind of walks you through, okay, what what is suicide? What is the research behind it? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that I need to look out for when it comes to my loved ones? And then how do I have those conversations? You know, we try to put those programs on for free. You can attend them via Zoom. Um, you don't have to be in person um, because we believe, like I said earlier, like educating people, raising that awareness, you know, if we can just touch one life here in North Texas, you know, that's phenomenal. So I would definitely encourage anyone who's interested, you know, 
AFSP.org backslash North Texas, we have our programs listed that people can come and attend and, and learn how to have those conversations. And you know what? Again, it's baby steps sometimes. It's just just being able to listen. It's not like you have to know everything. And, and just being aware, being aware that, like you said earlier, somebody that you know, a friend, a family member, someone that you care about, just doesn't seem quite right. They don't feel like, it's, it's just like noticing somebody's got a limp. It's like, wait a minute, or wait a minute, uh, my uh, my auntie, she can't see as good as she used to. Maybe she needs to go see the eye doctor. She's not reading. She's like pulling the newspaper or pulling the, the paperwork back and forth. Or, I mean, there's little things that you notice that you, on physical ailments that you'll speak up about. we got to be comfortable enough to say, how are you feeling? And then letting that conversation take place. Right. And it really needs to come from someone who knows that individual, like you said, right? Because it's not going to look the same for me as it is for you, Chris, you know, Mm -hmm. we are two different people. And so, you know, if we were experiencing, you know, some anxiety or some depression or even suicidal ideation, it might, you know, manifest itself in different ways. And so, you know, you have to know that person kind of well enough to know, okay, that's not Chris's normal behavior. That's right. not Katie's normal behavior. And so it can be very subtle, but you know, if you spend a lot of time with that person, you'll be able to kind of pick up and go, okay, something's not right. Okay. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, you guys have been doing a lot of walks around the country and here in North Texas. Tell us about the walks, what they involved and who came up with it and how successful they've been with helping people out. Yeah. So, you know, in North Texas, we um, have four walks here that happen in the fall. So um, our community walks take place during the fall time. You know, we, here in Texas, it can get hot. So we oh, want yeah. to sure I, I was everyone... hoping I was hoping you would say it's not going to happen. I hope it, it was not going to happen in July because nobody wants to walk in July. No. Um, so the DFW walk is the largest walk that the North Texas chapter puts on. Um, it is going to be at the Levitt Pavilion in Arlington this year. Um, last year we had nearly 2000 people come out. Um, it's October 21st this year and it's really about hope, right? It's Mm -hmm. about supporting those around you who maybe are themselves struggling, supporting those around you who have lost a loved one. You know, we want this day to honor those who have been lost, but for people to also leave feeling hopeful mm-hmm. that you know, there is a community here in North Texas who cares about mental health, who cares about suicide prevention, and to know that they're not alone. Um, so, you know, you come out, there's all kinds of activities for um, kids, for adults, you know, uplifting things. We have our hope wall where you can honor your loved ones. We have our bead ceremony that takes place. And, you know, we, we wear different colored beads based on your experience with mental health or with suicide and how it's affected you. Mm-hmm. And then we go out and do this walk. It's about a 5K. Um, you know, we have shorter routes for those who may need it, um, who can, you know, again, it's about having that community coming out together and seeing okay, I'm a mother who's lost a child and, you know, I see other mothers who have lost a child because as I mentioned before, it can be very stigmatizing. And in that moment, you feel alone and to be able to come out and see, okay, I'm not alone. There's other people who have experienced something very similar. It can be very powerful and very moving that day. And you mentioned powerful and moving and therapeutic from that end of it, but it also can be preventative, right? 
Yeah. So, you know, again, we invite other nonprofits out to our walks who have resources here in North Texas. And so that, you know, those who are attending, not all of them, you know, we have corporations who attend, who invite their employees to come out. And, you know, they can learn a little bit about all the different resources that are here that AFSP offers, but that these other organizations in North Texas offer. So that if they ever do get in a situation where they're like, I think someone needs help, they can be like, oh, I went to the Out of Darkness Walk and I remember meeting so-and-so there and they do this organization. Or, you know, I was at the Out of the Darkness Walk and AFSP has this program. Let me see when the next one is, is that I can attend. So, you know, it's it's both. You know, we want to be able to provide preventative education and then post-preventative education as well. The AFSP Walk is going to be in October. Are there any things going on in the summertime? I mentioned, you know, about not walking in July, but I'm sure there's some things that happen in the summertime that you might want to talk about because, you know, last month, May, was Suicide or Mental Health Awareness Month, excuse me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who, there's an uptick where people talk, they want to know more information, and summer can sometimes be kind of busy, I guess. Yeah, so, you know, we are out all the time at different events Mm -hmm. Um, promoting mental health. You know, we were just at the Dallas Pride Parade this past weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know the LGBTQ population is a vulnerable population. And so Mm -hmm. we want to be there to be able to provide resources. This coming weekend, we're going to be at Fan Expo, um, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, for those maybe who don't know, it's like Comic-Con. To be able to provide resources, we're going to be doing some of their programs there as well. Um, So we are out in the community all summer long at different events just raising awareness, promoting our walks, promoting our programs. You know, anyone, we've had schools, businesses reach out to us and say, would you be willing to come and present your program to us? And 100% absolutely we are. A lot of our programs are free and we go out there and present them um, to audiences that will invite us in. So we had that kind of stuff coming up in the summer. And if anyone, you know, has an opportunity like that, I would definitely encourage them to reach out to us. We're more than happy to go out and provide programming or just general awareness. You know, you mentioned Comic-Con. I think that's outstanding because there's a lot of people who, you know, love the superheroes, the comics or whatever. And, and then they actually kind of go into that world a little bit. And maybe that helps. That's almost like their form of self-medication. And I think the fact that you're there, for them, it's like also another way of, of relating and communicating and, and bonding over some of the same things that some people may be going through. I think that's that's a brilliant idea that you guys are doing. Yeah, you know, that was something that was brought around last year. We went for the first time and it was such a success. And we're so, you know, appreciative of FanFest inviting us back because they saw a benefit in it as well um, to be able to have us out there. And so, you know, it's one of the highlights of the board and our volunteers year is, you know, getting ready and preparing for FanFest. Our volunteers get into it just as much as those attending with their costumes and, you know, wanting to be part of that community. So it's been a real great partnership. Fantastic. Again, we're talking with Katie Flores Moreno. Katie, before we let you get out of here, is there any way if people wanted to get involved, volunteer, partner with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the North Texas chapter, is there any way they can reach out to you guys? Absolutely. They can definitely reach out to us on our website, afsp.org backslash North Texas. 
They can volunteer. They can see what upcoming events are going on. Um, my contact information is on there, kmoreno at afsp.org. They can always reach out to me and email me directly with any questions, um, looking for resources or wanting programs or wanting to learn about our events. I love the way you affect lives. Katie, thanks again for joining us. And we've got to do this real soon. Maybe we'll do it again in October. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thank you. And joining us right now is a Dallas legend. Yeah, I'm going to call him a legend because he's been doing things in Oak Cliff for a long, long time. How about Coach Mays? Coach James Mays has worked 32 years at Dallas ISD, 28 years at South Oak Cliff High School. You've been the boys' head basketball coach since 1999. And for the last 10 years, how about the school's athletic director? Coach Mays, thanks for joining us, man. Man, most definitely. I appreciate you guys, uh, for, for having me. You guys are for having me. Well, like I said, you are a legend, and it's not just what you do on the court or what you do in the building and with the athletes. You've been making an impression for a long, long, long time, and you and I go way, way back. Right, and it goes right. beyond the four state championships. It goes beyond, what is it, 562 wins, 203 losses, going to the UIL state playoffs 23 years in a row. I mean, Absolutely wow. amazing, but guess what? And by the way, Coach of the Year, 2005, 2008. I mean, I can go on and on and on. District Coach of the Year 14 times. But those are the those are the accolades coaching and on athletic side of it. I really like the way that you affect the kids, the way you are an influence. And the reason I say this is because nowadays, especially on social media, people are talking about the influencers. Oh, if, are you an influencer? Man, you are an OG influencer. <laughs> How you like that? <laughs> Man, that, that's that's it's it's kind of funny and strange to hear, but um, I guess I've I've gotten to that 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 time now. So, but but I, I really enjoy it, you know, and um and I really enjoy the social media era. era. It's a lot of negative stuff said about uh, mm-hmm. the social media, but then it's a lot of positive stuff too because you can get the positive message out even more so than we used to could get it out just by word of mouth or proximity. But I, I just love the whole time that's going on right now. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's some satisfying work. Uh, uh, although it is a lot of work, but, but I still enjoy it. Well, you know what, when you were making your speech last week and I appreciate you doing this for the, uh, fellowship of Christian athletes, the first thing you said that had impact, I'm gonna let you take it from here because it was just riveting. You said two of the most powerful words that can influence kids is coach said. Yeah. Well, coach said is so big in our in our profession because uh, it, it just speaks to the respect that kids uh, have coaches. Uh, parents have for coaches, uh, just the community as in whole. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. That they have for coaches. Uh, coaches normally can uh, get things done that that, that normal uh, people cannot do uh, just because of the, uh, I guess, the bond uh, with the sport. That, that you have with that young man or young lady. And so they're, they're more apt to listen to you quicker. Uh, we're, we're, and, you know, I seen this on social media the other day. Uh, one parent realized that actually that kid is with us the majority of the time instead of with them. And, and so for that reason, that the influence that we have on them is so great. And I think that uh, you have to go into this with that focus. It's almost like, and I said this years ago, dealing with, kids uh, especially kids in our community a lot of times they don't have father figures mm-hmm. or even some some situations mother figures right and so we we essentially become surrogate parents and so and so that is how we have to look at it and i've always looked at it like that because you know young black man you growing up in the hood went to school in the hood uh you go off you educated you come back and, and try to pour into your community one of the first thing you realize is that uh we have a lot of non-traditional uh, family structure, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times those structures, uh, they don't have uh, two parent households. And so you do have to become a surrogate parent. Uh, and, and so you take on that role. So not only are you coaching them in a particular sport, but now you're basically the life coach. And so, uh, this is the way we look at it, the approach we look at it. We like winning. We like, um, the competition aspect of, of the profession, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is about the kids and trying to make a productive citizen uh, in the long run. That, that's the approach that I've always taken. And one of your greatest influences in your life, one of them, is your mm. dad, who is also a coach. Can you talk about how you were raised the coach's son? Well, you know, and, and when I was coming up, um, that's all I ever knew. I just knew my dad uh, was a coach. I remember uh, years ago, and this was we, we originally, uh, I'm, 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 I'll be 58 next year in, in July. And so I was born in 65. And so uh, the, my first earliest memories or uh, about gyms, uh, about athletics, my dad uh, started out at, at Charles Rice Elementary in South Dallas. And so uh, I went to St. Anthony, which was down the street from Charles Rice. And so I used to leave. We used to, me and my sister, we used to actually walk from St. Anthony down to Charles Rice uh, until my dad got off. And so we'll spend most of our days in the gym on a football field or something like that. But mm-hmm. we watched him grow. We we grew up watching him do what he do, do what he does. And that was uh just coaching. And so um, you know, I got to, you know, I get guess, you know, people kid now, or not even kid, but I guess one of the signatures that I have is, is the dress, you know, you, you know, the suits and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Where that where that came from, that came from my dad because I watched my dad um all those years, although he was a coach and see this, this was the dichotomy of it all. I guess he's a coach, but in the morning time, he puts on his suit, he puts on his tie. uh, He grabs his briefcase and he leaves. And then in the afternoon, when we see him again in the afternoon, he's transformed into a coach. Now he got on his coaching, his warmups, his tennis shoes and things like that. And then we go to games and, you know, practices and the game nights and things like that. And he will take us with him. So this is what I watched. And so for me, 
if this was normal, it was a normal deal to see uh, my dad, black man, get up, wear a suit, and then, you know, transform into to a coach. And so that kind of got into me over the years. And so, you know, um, you know, early on, you know, I mean, I remember sometimes doing a my high school years, hell, I used to wear suits to school. You know, I used to wear <laughs> really? ties. Yeah, I'm talking about the earliest high school. I, I got out. so many high school pictures with suits on, you know, which is kind of unusual because, you know, you know, you you go to the prom. You're in certain situations that you're going to wear suits as a young man. You go to prom, mm -hmm. uh, funerals and things like that, formal mm -hmm. situations. But just to wear a suit on a normal day or, or program at school it was unusual but but that's what i did and so it became comfortable to me you know is it like put, so, being on your best behavior your best behavior and but you putting on a uniform yes you know so i look at that so it's just like a uniform and so till this day you know i i have, have have gotten that habit and i'm still into that habit and so that's a lot of times uh you know i'm not looked at as a you know just a regular culture traditional type coach because i will uh, you know, I will rock a suit, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, with with the quickness, you know, on the sidelines day to day. Right. Uh, that's what I do. But that's what it came from. But it was all under the influence of a dad uh, presence in the house. And so she was strong. And so the discipline was right, because, you know, if you did something wrong, you got to answer the dad, not necessarily mom. And, you know, you didn't want that smoke. You know, I know right. I did, you know, a, a couple of times. And then you get all the extra um uh, uh, things that comes with being a, a coach's son, you know, expectation, exactly. uh, discipline, you know, being held accountable for your actions and things like that. So that is what I came up under. And uh, like I said, it has so, such a great influence, you know, on me till, till this day. Did you think growing up that you might be a coach or did you want to just be an athlete or did you not want to uh, look at sports as, as a way through to things? Well, I tell you what, when I was coming up, uh, I played all the sports, obviously, you know, most coaches, kids, they do. Uh, so I played all the sports. And so uh, baseball was my main sport. You know, I played football. I played basketball. I ran track. Uh, but baseball, that that was my love. And so um, uh, and I played baseball throughout high school. All right, King Driffy Jr. <laughs> King Driffy Jr. right there. <laughs> yeah. The then, I went to, then I went to college. I was down in Prairie View. I played a little mm -hmm. short time down there. But HBCU. Uh, things of that, na that, that nature caught up with me. Uh, but after that, then my mind started grabbing because I really thought I was going to the major leagues. I really did, like most kids do. Okay. Uh, but after that dream was kind of deferred, uh, then my mind went back to uh, other things. Uh, you know, I was a business major. A lot of people don't know this. I was a business major uh, at Prairie View. So I, I graduated with a BBA in finance. All and right. so my dream was to go to uh, eventually work on Wall Street because I wanted to be a stockbroker. And so I was hired. Uh, out of out of college uh, by first investors. It was a, a group that was out of New York that was based in Dallas. So that was my first assignment. So I I was uh, I, I got my stockbroker's license, uh, my Series 6360 to do uh, insurance, the whole nine yards. And so mm -hmm. I'm selling stocks and bonds. Market crash. You know, God is funny. You know, you if if you ever if if you ever want to just make God laugh, just tell him your plans. And so. Uh, so I, so in and God says, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. You know, I know you got these big time plans. I graduated at 89, the spring of 89 from preview, uh, BBA finance, you know, living a dream. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stock market crashed that fall right? in, in October. And it was called black Monday. If you go back in history and you research the stock market, I mean, it was, it was a big deal. 
So a lot of investors, not a lot of investors, a lot of investors lost money, but the stockbrokers, we lost jobs. And so I was uh, temporarily laid off be, be, being that the last in first out, that whole type of deal. Mm -hmm, too and young. So, yeah, too young. And so uh, my dream was def definitely deferred for a little time then. Uh, but uh, mama said, you know, I, I talk about dad a lot, but mama had great influence. Mama said, you know what? Why don't you uh, try substitute teaching until uh, they call you back? And so to make a long story short, uh, I never went back. And that's how I ended up in education and all of this. But like I said, my dream was to be major league baseball player. Uh, my dream was to be a stockbroker in New York, working on Wall Street, making all the money. And then how I end up uh, a basketball type icon in this area, I, I never figured it out. But but that's what happened. You know me, what? So. It goes back to the journey is the reward because the road to success is full of twisted turns. You couldn't have thought <laughs> the way your success would be would be this way. And the fact that you impact so many so many lives over all these years, kids Damn. growing up. And I mean, let's just go ahead and name some of the names of some of the players that you coached. And it can be on the championship roster and it may not be on the championship roster, but seriously, there's, and I know you can't name them all, but there's right. some different people that you actually had some influence over and they still are so proud that you were their coach. Right, right. Um, uh, the NCAA tournament, I watched Kedron Johnson play for uh, Bob Huggins, West Virginia, uh, great influence. Uh, C.J. Massenburg, he went to the University of Buffalo uh, maybe about uh, seven, eight years ago, and he set a scoring record, all-time scoring record at Buffalo. He's overseas playing right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Jamison Morgan uh, went to UCLA, finished career at uh, Baylor. Uh, great, great guys. Uh, Lindy Holmes uh, played basketball for me, but he was a big-time football star, went to University of Oklahoma. Uh, the biggest uh, out of the bunch, uh, Darrell Arthur, obviously. Yeah, yeah, Shady played uh, 10 years in the league. And it's ironic that Denver uh, is playing for a championship. Shady is now, he had a 10-year career, very successful year, uh, career, made a lot of money, a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, married to his high school sweetheart. Uh, both of them went to South Oak Cliff. Uh, they live in Denver now. Shady is in the Denver's front office right now. Is that right? Player. That's great. Yeah, he's the you director know, player personnel. People so, also it, forget he won the national championship with Kansas. He did. He won a national chain, won two high school uh, championships, uh, mm -hmm. state championships. He uh, got a, a championship at at uh, University of Kansas. But he's now in the front office uh, at Denver. He finished his career at Denver. He played three years with Memphis, finished his career with uh, uh, Denver, and now he's they hired him in the front office. I mean, six six. And and this kid right here, Chris, I'll tell you this. Shady, as far as his situation growing up, he had his mom. He didn't have his dad. His dad mm -hmm. was uh, not in his life. But uh, and they were they were probably one of the poorest families uh, that that I've ever coached. Mm. So to see them when 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 uh when when the song says I started at the bottom and now I'm here. Yeah, Drake. You know, I go from the bottom to the top. Yeah, Drake. That's the truth. I, that, those are so many true stories. You know, I hear that all the time. You know, Kevin Rogers is another one that brings to mind with his story and his family where he ended up. Kevin had a great, phenomenal career at Baylor and uh, went overseas and had a great, great career over there, made a lot of money. So it's just being able to influence those guys. And I still stay in contact with uh, the majority of them. Uh, and Shady, all the time I sent them a text message, we was texting back and forth. 
when they won the last series against Phoenix, while he was going and said, that's ironic. You, you want to play for another championship. I said, championships just follow you. <laughs> so, uh, so it's just that's being excellent. able to, to, to impact guys' lives mm-hmm. and, and just have them make a chance. So the bigger dreams that I had were small in comparison to the overall effect that I could have on other people's dreams. So that's the way I look at it. And it's a it's a responsibility uh, that that I'm thankful to get. We're talking. I'm at school, so excuse those bells. <laughs> we're talking to South Oak Cliff High School's head basketball coach and athletic director James Mays. I can't say it enough about how South Oak Cliff winning the state championship back to back in football has affected that entire area. Can you talk about how? Even though it's sports, it transcended right. sports and what it's been like for the last couple of years. Man, uh, that that thing, and and you know, first I want to give a shout out to uh, Coach Todd and his staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these guys, man, I'm telling you that they really just renewed my my passion for what I do from watching them work every day. It was no uh, coincidence that they won a state championship uh, or winning state championships because uh, I, I see the work that they do every day. They have they have a, a just unmatched work ethic and and being able to relate to kids which i've learned uh you know because like i said again kids change every three to five years and you have to be you have to have a thumb on it or have a have an instinct for how you approach kids and how you deal with kids Mm -hmm. you know kids are the same but they're different over the course of time and so watching coach todd in that group but what 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 those championships and we socket had traditionally been known as a basketball school and a track school uh, we played great football, but we never could get over the hump. And so what Coach Todd has did, he has basically lit a fire that has been smoldering, you know, essentially in this community for years about this football program. And so what he has done, I mean, the, this whole community is on fire. The the pride is at an all-time high. Uh, just a, Just the buy-in from parents, uh, kids that want to come here, parents that want to bring their kids here. You know, it's it's simply amazing to to watch them and what they have done with this area. And I'm just so happy just to be um, in the role of athletic director where I can help them as much as I possibly can. And so, uh, you know, just I tell you what, those guys should make us look good. I'll tell you that. Let me tell you so something. It's just a blessing. For those who don't know, the, the back-to-back championships, it's the first time a DISD school has won a, a state championship in 50 years. It was It was absolutely amazing. And the after effects continue because literally every time you see Kyrie Irving, Dallas Maverick, NBA mm-hmm. superstar, he's wearing his South Oak Cliff back-to-back state championship cap, and he just got here. Right, right. <laughs> he did, too. Uh, you know, and, and when I first seen it, I said, wow. I said, uh, I was trying to track it down on how it came to be. But we have uh, a local uh, business uh, called the Pan-African Connection, and they are uh, just a, mm-hmm. a, a black-owned uh, African uh, American Senate store that sells all type of stuff. And so we have one of our guys at this store, Mambada. Uh, he actually has a friend that's close with Kyrie. Okay. And gave him those hats, gave him the hats when we won the championship and Kyrie and told him about the history of the area. Cause you know, Kyrie is a woke individual. Exactly. And so he's all into, you know, African American community and, and just good things going on in the community. And he started wearing those hats, man. And that was just a big shout out to him and type of individual he is to just rep a high school that's in the area. So, man, we just, it's, it's just great. It's just great. I heard a, uh, I, I was looking on social media the other day and it was one of the uh, 
uh, superintendents from the school district, she said this, she said, I cannot emphasize enough how strong athletic programs can help turn around a campus academically. There may be other ways, but this is definitely a formula that works. And that is what we believe in here at South Oak Cliff. We, uh, we, we take pride in the athletic programming. We're not going to downplay it. We're going to, you know, one is bigger than another. No, the athletics is a big thing in our, in our community. And it's a big thing on the other side of town because uh, they've been doing it for years. They've been building uh, multi-million dollar stadiums. You know, right. they go up, they almost look like cathedrals and, mm -hmm. and they're celebrated. And so when we do it on our side of town, we don't want the, the stigma that that's all that we think about. No, that's not all we think about. Or that's not all what we do. But it's a big part of what we do. And we're proud of it. I, I am proud just to lead a program. We have 15 uh, athletic programs here at South Oak Cliff. And I'm just so proud just to be the athletic director uh, for those programs because they bring a, a lot of notoriety uh, to what we do around here. I love the fact that you tied in with education because that's, that's what it's all about. But also... Yeah. What you're doing is so big in the community, again, affecting the lives of the kids, because if they weren't doing athletic things or if they weren't taking pride in their school, taking pride of their after school activities, taking pride of, of their educational resources at the school, I mean, they might wind up in trouble. And that's a greater danger in, you know, in South Oak Cliff as opposed to one of the suburban neighborhoods. Yes, it is, because that has been the trap for a lot of our kids throughout the years, because you have so many uh, negative influence. You do have that in the community. You got so many positive, but you do have that negative sure. influence. And that, it's a battle. That, right. It's a battle uh, by choices about which road you want to mm -hmm. travel. You want to go left or you want to go right. And uh, a lot of times the one the, the thing that keeps them from going left is athletics. Yep. And so, or, or extracurricular band, uh, mm -hmm. drill team, cheerleaders. And so we we make sure we emphasize those programs here at our school being as strong as they possibly can. Our participation numbers across the board are some of the highest uh, in DISD. You know, even though our enrollment is is middle of the pack, maybe at the at the low end. So we have maybe about anywhere from thirteen to fourteen hundred kids at South Oak Cliff. You can easily say at least half of those kids, seven, eight hundred of those kids are involved in extracurricular activities, some athletics uh, to band, to cheerleaders, to ROTC, uh, because if you have that to offer and think, different options to occupy time, the worst thing that you can have is idle time sometime in our community. If they're involved, then they can be productive. And that's what we really believe that. And so, uh, you know, we, we got to keep kids active. We got to got to actively engage them. You know, you also brought up something that is, I thought this is very, very smart and very uh, interesting because it's another option. You talked about this program called Baller Sundays. Can you talk awesome. about that? Because I thought that's very, very important as far as giving kids ch choices and options and, and a, a positive path if they want to go that way. Man, Baller Sunday, man, that thing right there, it started so small and it has ballooned to an unbelievable level, level that I, I I didn't think it could get that way. And I want to send a shout out to my wife, too, because she and, and her group, uh, she's a consultant, but her and her group have taken that thing by the horns. And they they took it to a level that I didn't even think possible. But Ball of Sunday, uh, real quick, Ball of Sunday is, um, is, a, is a chance to introduce the guys to a spiritual side that a lot of times is not addressed uh, from the home side. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is uh, we pick a Sunday. 
And we basically take the kids to church and introduce them uh, spiritually if they haven't already been introduced. But strangely enough, a lot of them have been introduced to church and even attend church regularly. But those who haven't also have an opportunity to have that same experience. And then it'll grow from there. We're, we're, we, we are partnering with FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, on our campus. And so it's just an extension of what FCA does. But what we do is select a church. Uh, the two churches that we have been uh partnership with this friendship west uh over there with freddie pastor haynes. haynes yeah pastor haynes uh real real great great My great pastor and then of course brian carter at concord church mm-hmm. uh and and both both of those guys man you i can't say but enough about the impact that they have and the willingness to do something like this and so we started out with with, with uh south oak cliff boys uh uh this this happened like uh oh god this like early 2000s i think we was uh making the regionals and so what we would do is we when we make the state tournament back then uh we would we would meet that sunday and we would get the call from uil about the matchups for that upcoming week and so it would be almost similar to what you see in march madness when everybody's standing around and Mm -hmm. see who get the call as far as the matchups or Mm -hmm. where you going we would do the same thing in high school back then and wait for that call and then after they called it, we, we'll say, you know, well, you guys got the three seed and you'll play such and such on, on Thursday. And so after that call, we'll go to church. And so uh, and so we just started doing it. So the following years, we started inviting other teams to pick out a Sunday because we said, this is a good thing. Let's 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 see if others other teams. So we reached out to a couple of local coaches. And so that thing went from one team. So now it's three teams, to now it's seven teams, now it's 10 teams, and then all the way up to like 20, 25 teams now. It is huge. It's like four or 500 kids coming to church at one time in Ball of Sunday. And like I said, we had brought so many kids to Christ because even throughout that Sunday, I mean, through those Sundays, several Sundays, several kids have joined church. And so, and accepted Jesus Christ. And so that right there, I mean, and, you know, like I said, the churches, uh, Concord actually put it in its budget for Ball of Sunday to, to where they feed the kids, uh, they bring speakers in, give them uh, uh, gift gift bags. And I mean, it's just, it's wow. crazy. I never did think it would grow like that. But like I said, you get the women involved. I mean, women are taking it run with it. So oh, yeah. shout out to, to my wife and uh, Rhonda Houston, who's no longer with us. She passed mm-hmm. away. Those people, uh, Jasmine McCoy, Miss Barbara McCoy's daughter, mm-hmm. they took that thing and they took it to a whole. And and we've actually, um, we actually coined the phrase and had a patent on uh, Ball of Sunday. And so, we, you know, just, we just took it to that level. That that's like an extension of the Booster Club. You know, it's like Basically. okay, and and the athletes bought into it. And again, it's their own choice. It's not like they have to. Right, right. It's 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 not a forced thing. You would you you invite them if they want to come, and then we invite the parents. See, the parents jumped on board too. So now That's when great. we have all those kids there, we have a whole section of parents. They come too, and it's it's crazy. It is crazy. Hmm. Uh, so I'm just I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed at what God can do and, and what people that get together and put their heads together, partnership can do. That is fantastic. We're talking to Coach James Mays. He's also the athletic director, basketball coach at South Oak Cliff High School, and again a major influencer with the, with the youth down there. And and I, and I know it's 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 just like if you're a teacher and you are an educator as well, but you're primarily a coach. It's it's got to be rewarding to you when you see kids that didn't seem like they had much. You mentioned Shady, but uh, other guys who may, may not have been, you know, professional athletes at all, but they 
they made something out of themselves. Girls and guys that went to sock made something out of themselves, and they come back and say something about, hey, if it wasn't for you or Miss So-and-so, I wouldn't right. be where I am today. And that's what it's all yeah. about, right? That's what it's all about because, like I said again, if you can if you can alter to the, the trajectory of a life in a positive way, man, that, that is so positive. See, that's more satisfying to me than just winning any championships or districts or whatever. With knowing right. that you gave a kid a chance to do something with a life other than what was expected or even shown in their community in some instances. And so, that, I mean, they're just huge. Man, I remember one story, man. Um, it was, uh, it, and this is this to tell you the the magnitude or just the dire straits a kid is in. We had a kid, um, and I and I said, well, I say his name, Sylvester Spicer, because I'm so proud of him. This is one, him, him, Shady, he'll fit in this category of Shady. He was one of the kids that probably were perhaps, his situation was probably one of the poorest situations that I've ever seen in my life, in my life. Mm. And so uh, picking him up, taking him home, a lot of times we give family assistance because we don't never leave him stuck out. You know, if we have to help assist, that's what we do. You know, that's what, that, that, that's that's the that's the responsibility of, of, of dealing with a kid. And so, this both of these kids' parents, it was him, his brother, two sisters. All right. They lived in a house, South Oak Cliff. Um, it may have, it, it was one of the shotgun houses, you know, back in the day. You yeah. know, it's still that small. You could almost look through and see mm-hmm. the back door. So it, it was that situation. They didn't hardly have anything. Both of his parents was deaf. They was hearing impaired. They was deaf. They learned all the kids learned sign language coming up to wow. communicate with their parents. Uh, they didn't have anything. I mean, nothing. But but as far as being humble, these was the most humble kids. I you know, as well as that situation. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, they didn't give you a hard time. They went to class. They done their work. They didn't get in no trouble. Um, well, one time uh, he supposed to got in trouble. He uh, uh, you know, free breakfast uh, in our communities is so important. Shout out to the Black Panthers for starting that program. Mm-hmm. But free breakfast is so important. Free lunch is so important. So Sylvester, he, him and his brother, them, they got to school every morning to get breakfast because they may not have eaten the night before, unknown right. to us at the time. And so, so, th- so breakfast and lunch was important. And so um, uh, he was in the lunch line one day, breakfast line, uh, standing line, get a lunch. Another kid came and skipped him and got the last donut. Chris. No. When I tell you, if you've ever seen a fight over the last donut. Oh, no. Over the last oh, donut. This my. is this how bad this situation was. And so when they called me down and, and coach, you know, especially yada, yada. So I said, well, let me ask Chris, because he's not this kind of kid. And he explained to him, coach, you kids skip me in line. He jumped in and got the last donut. And I couldn't take it no more. And I understood so, you know, from there, you know, but, but like I said, again, this kid right here and, and, you know, we, you know, we took care of that situation with him, make sure you take care of what he need. And we especially paid attention from then on out to make sure him and his family were taken care of. But this is what happened to Sylvester. Sylvester was on the same team that uh, Darrell Arthur and, and Kevin Rogers played on Jarrell Hastings. He was on the same team that won a championship in 05. Now you playing behind two six nine kids. Sylvester was a post. He's about six six by six 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 seven. Uh and he was a warrior. He played, he stayed in the Glendale uh area where Glendale Park is. So right. you know that area right there. I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, it ain't that's no room for soft kids. Exactly. 
he came out of that area and he played pickup ball in Glendale Park a lot of days. So learning that toughness, the competitiveness, all this kind of stuff. Well, long story short, uh, Kevin signed with Baylor. Uh, Darrell, well, that year, Darrell still had one year left. Darrell eventually signed with Kansas. Jarrell Hastings would play the three. He signed with Stephen F. Austin. Uh, uh, Sylvester was the third guy, fourth guy coming off the bench. Now, he could have started any other places, but he stayed there. Sylvester's scholarship to Oral Roberts University, all right? So uh, right there, his whole life is finna change. His whole trajectory of his family is finna change. All right. And mm-hmm. I knew it. And I was just I was just it was a blessing to watch this because I know what's going to happen because he was a great student. So make a long story short, he got his degree. He played overseas ball. He went overseas to play ball. He didn't make the league, but he played overseas ball for several years. And so when he finished playing, he took his money and he started his own business. Now, Sylvester is the owner of a tow truck company, a 18 wheeler company wow. that moves right up. And and he is living his best life and his whole family life. He pulled everybody up. It changed. So now instead of going from the poorest of the poor, now they're of the well-do, the well-off. Mm-hmm. I mean, stuff like this. See, this is why you coach. You, 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 you don't coach just for the wins. You coach, and I, and I think that's why God let me experience winning so early at that level. So chasing wins throughout my career is not my focus, especially now. That's not the focus. Mm -hmm. My focus is seeing if I could go and help change the trajectory of a life. I still like winning. We're still competitive every year. But I want to see if we can win in life. That's the goal. I'm going to see if you can win in life, and I'm going to help you win in life. That's my pledge to your parents if you bring them here. Coach Mays is going to do everything he can to make sure this kid do right, make sure he get his lesson, and make sure he is going in the right direction. That's that's the, my focus now. Well, so let me tell you something, Coach Mays. You are the right man for the job because the journey has been rewarding and the success is continual. We got to have you back on the show. Again, Coach Mays, thanks for joining us, man. Chris, I appreciate you, man. Keep doing what you're doing, too. Keep doing. Most definitely. And thank you all for listening to us on Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.